Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champ, nine-year pro kicking coach, rep in the South, Coach Brian Jackson. season, right? You know, uh, Le'Veon Bell's the Jets, Odell Beckham's in Cleveland, but the one thing that hasn't changed where I'm putting any money down is on all the games, right? So my bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. No doubt. My bookie has better bonuses, has more prop bets than any other sports book, period. They're hosting the first online handicapping super contest, first place guaranteed to win at least 100 grand. That'd be nice, huh? 100 grand, Chris? Oh yeah, I'll take it. I mean, it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize. Cool. And that's why my bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, they pay. And what's really nice here on the 4th Down Experience podcast, guys, is you guys have a special promo code, and it is PUNT. Literally the word PUNT. P-U-N-T. Uh, activate that for the offer. Just visit my bookie online today. That's my bookie. And don't forget to use the promo code PUNT when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, and get paid. You know, this is my first year using MyBookie. Excited to try to win some money doing some prop bets. I, You know, you always do it with your friends for Super Bowls and all that stuff. And excited to see what I can do this fall. Try to win some money. Yeah. I mean, the promo code is awesome too, PUNT. That's right. So, you guys check it out. Check MyBookie out. And go win yourself, you know, six figures, 100 grand. That's right. Hey, what's up, 40 Nation? We're back for a special interview here. We have a college coach here in the mix. We have Travis Walsh, longtime special teams coordinator, uh, recent special teams coordinator for the University of St. Thomas, a uh, longtime friend of mine and mentor of mine as well that I've, I've known for a while since I, I've gotten into the, the coaching realm of things. Um, and we're going to talk about things from a college coach's perspective as well and, and try to teach the parents and athletes some things that you should know uh, on the college side of things. So, welcome, Travis, to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. I've, I've listened to a, some of your shows and uh, always like your topics as a special teams guy. And um, hopefully I can help and contribute in some manner today. Yeah, we, we appreciate you being on, Travis. Man, Welcome to the 4th Down Experience podcast. We're excited because we, we get to hear a coach's perspective on this particular episode and and this is going to be very valuable information to not only kickers and punters and snappers, but but also to parents and other other fellow people that are in this industry. So let's uh, let's go back here. So you know, Travis, we'll we'll cover what's next for you. But you were a longtime special teams coordinator and spent a number of years with the University of Saint Thomas. Uh, so people know, you know, we talked about this on an, on the podcast when we first started. I was the specialist coach for a year under Travis, so I learned quite a bit from him. And Travis, as one of his duties, handled the college recruiting aspect. So we wanted to talk a little bit here about some some topics that maybe athletes and parents should know as they get into the college recruiting realm uh, to hopefully play college football. Sounds good, yeah. So let's go from a parent's 
or actually an athlete's perspective, what are, in your opinion, as a as a college coach that's recruiting athletes, what are maybe four or five things that you think are important for these kids to know and think about? Well, I think in going through it, it's a massive process, and I do believe it has to start in some manner in ninth grade, and it's not something that I, you know, I had to do 25 years ago. But if you're going to stay on top of it, I believe the family has to be very involved, and I believe um, the student really has to get going with things. And, and to me, you know, it's a very broad question because we're really talking about everything from Division One fluoride to Division One non-scholarship to three NAIA down to junior college. And there is a vast amount of information and um, things that need to be considered to be most qualified for all of those schools, no matter your talent level. I mean, really, it, it does start with your academics. And um, from a GPA standpoint, from a core classes standpoint, from a uh, ACT standpoint, SAT, whichever one you're taking based on what part of the country it is, I really think that's where it needs to start. Now, certainly there's going to be some schools that have different levels of acceptance rates and um, standards. But if you're saying, I want to be most available to uh, all of the schools out there, um, the first place to start is you got to have a transcript that's, that's going to show up. And um, I think ultimately times, you know, and I've talked to counselors about it, you know, I, I know head coaches and, counselors and parents are on these guys about saying, hey, stay up with it. You know, it's something that you know, you're going to want to be proud of when you're a junior and a senior, and it's going to help you out. And I know a lot of times we've dealt with guys throughout the years that, uh, you know, ninth grade wasn't so good, and tenth grade we got a little bit better, and they're really trying to dig out of a hole. And it, what it really does is it just it, it cuts your list down from, uh, unless you're a one percenter or a top five percenter in the country athletically, it just really starts cutting your list down as to, what your possibilities are going to be. So staying on top of that, I think, has got to be number one. I think starting to think about um, where do you want to go to school? You know, I, um, I'm i not going to say I'm a major proponent of uh, all these recruiting services. I, I think ultimately, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of families throughout the years that say, yeah, we, we hired a recruiting service and our feelings getting pumped all over the country. Great. Um what schools are you talking to? Where are you going to apply? Well, we're really kind of thinking, you know, locally. Well, then why did you pump your recruiting film all over the country and pay whichever amount of dollars? I don't know what to do that. If your goal in the end is to stay, you know, within 100 miles, two, 300 miles of school. If you are a good player and a good student athlete, those schools are going to go out and find you. So knowing what it is you're looking for and does it exist within your 250, 300-mile radius should be able to help you understand, um, do I need more help than just my parents and my coaches? Um, where I think a recruiting service can come in really, really good is let's say you are a tweener uh, scholarship kid, top-of-the-line scholarship kid, or mid-major um, type kid, then getting that film out everywhere, if you're really committed to saying, I'm going to go anywhere that gives me a full rider 70%, we don't care, really, really don't care where it is in the country, I think it could be a decent investment at that time, but I do believe it's a, it's a fairly small pool. Um, 
And then as you get a little bit finer, you know, finding a school that is going to academically be your fit. And one of the things I've been doing more research on is parents and uh, parents and students understanding um, the difference in the way that schools uh, accept students and what they're looking for, and throwing in the financial piece as well, uh, as well, and saying, as a family, you better understand what your 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 EFC is and your estimated family contribution. Um, that, and then also knowing what is the school looking for? Are they a need-based school? Or are they a need-aware school? And starting to understand um, how you need to fill out an application to be able to get uh, the most dollars available. And there's going to be some schools that if you put down that you have need, you're probably, if all things are equal academically with another student, um, and he um, does not have need, he's probably going to get into school or she's probably going to get into school. So there's a lot of waters to navigate, but those are the things that stick out I kind of the top of my list in terms of the prep for getting ready to be able to get to your school of choice, ultimately, hopefully, in, uh, in a financial situation where you can handle it as well and it, that it fits your major. Yeah, I mean, it's all super valuable information, and I really hope, a lot of parents and, and players listen to that. Uh, a great insight. Um, just curious, when you're, you know, when you're looking specifically at the specialist position, what are some what are some turnoffs when you see like on Twitter or, or social media or things of that sort? What, what are some turnoffs? Well, I can I can tell you one turnoff uh, right away, and I know that people are going to think I'm crazy. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing a uh, uh, kicker every once in a while, a place kicker, or um, throw on a clip where they actually missed a kick. You know, and uh, I know that sounds crazy, but it's the same thing I've said to kids throughout the years. I'm watching a highlight film of a running back, and he's running down the field, and uh, he gets tackled, and all of a sudden it just cuts off. Well, I'm assuming something good did not happen there, like maybe he fumbled the ball. So there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. You know, what What we always preach and what I've always learned is, well, how are we going to respond to those mistakes? And I almost feel like, uh, you know, case in point, um, I won't mention the business here, but uh, I was telling my wife about this story the other day. I go into this place where I've, I've eaten a lot, and uh, it's usually a, uh, you know, it takes me three ladle, ladles to fill up a uh, soup bowl. And all of a sudden it took two. And I went up to the manager and I said, hey, uh, could you tell me why uh, the cups are smaller? Well, they're not smaller. And I said, well, I've, I've been doing this a long time. They're definitely smaller. And um, it gets to the point where if you're going to try to hide something, it's worse. You know, it's all right to make mistakes. I don't mind seeing the fumble. I don't mind seeing the mistake. Hey, let's face it. You guys know it. You can strike the ball really, really well. And you could miss the kick for a lot of other factors that you really can't control. And, um, you know, the one thing I always try to acknowledge to the kickers is let's all understand that, Hey, we're going to need it. If the ball's being snapped and the ball's being held and we need protection and we need to kick that thing off the ground, there's a lot of things that we need to do really, really well. Um, and sometimes, yes, it's going to affect the outcome of how you did your job. But, um, you know, putting blame on the blocking unit in front of you, putting blame on the holder, putting blame on the, the short snapper, those would be the things really that, or the conditions. Hey, <laughs> we don't know a specialist, 
you know what? Conditions can be really, really tough on you, but they can also be tough on the quarterback and the center trying to snap the ball every time. So, you know, for the most part, turnoffs would be um, those type of things. Yeah. I want the guy that says, yeah, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm going to get better. I'm going to learn from it. And we're going to find a way to be better in the conditions next time. Um, so really, those would be the big things from a specialist side of it is pointing the finger at someone or something else if something isn't going right. And believe me, it happens a lot in recruiting. How did the year go? Well, coach didn't allow me to do this. Or, you know what, we never punted the ball. Or uh, he didn't believe in field goals past 35 yards. Great. Well, how did you do on the field goals inside of 35 yards? Let's start there. Um, So I guess those would be some of the things that stick out to me. Yeah, what I like about this is kind of the real talk element that you bring to it, what a coach really sees. So let's say, for example, kind of playing off what you just said, let's just say the team really didn't attempt many field goals, either because their offense wasn't so good or the coach didn't believe or practice in field goals. What are other ways that these kids can try to showcase their abilities that you would respect to see, whether it's a star rating or a video in another format? Like what, what helps you better evaluate a kicker if they don't quite have the huddle film? Yeah, if it's not the in-game stuff, you know, then hopefully I see them at camp, or hopefully they can send me uh, film uh, working with, you know, a kicking coach or something like that, or just, hey, out out in the field with dad filming it, or their buddy filming it, or whatever it might be. And, um, you know, uh, the the other things that stick out, I should have brought this one up, is, you know, you you see the kickoffs going 70 yards, but they're only going one way in the game film. So without having to look at a flag, I know that the wind's probably blowing 20 miles an hour because when I go to the next game, uh, you know, it's a 55-yard kick. You know, those type of things, you can say, you know what, I'm just putting on my best stuff. As a coach, I'm kind of saying, really, what you're trying to do is deceive me here a little bit because you're probably not a 70-yard kicker. And, you know, occasionally we talk about all the time as coaches, you see those little flags up on the uh, – up on the uh, goalposts, or I see the big American flag just gusting in the background, and, I, and then I see the kid probably put on his on his film 65-yard punt. I mean, all those things factor into my mind in terms of how I'm recruiting that kid. But if they don't have the game film, then I say, hey, just send it in any conditions in which you're kicking, whether it's a dome or not. And if you're going to put the yardage up there, if you're going to put your times up there, then also at least make mention of the conditions. I know I saw one the other day where uh, on uh, social media, and I don't know which one it was, uh, it was like a 70-yard field goal. It was just beautiful, right? And up in the top right-hand corner, I mean, it looks like the flag's about to rip off the pole. So those are the type of things where I think you have to be, whether you're editing it or not or just being straight up, you have to be conscious of. But anything you can do showing that ball go through or um, following through on your punts and different angles, I think that's always really, really good. It is, you know, I, I was listening to your podcast uh, from the punter uh, out of New Zealand, and he kept saying, yeah, we get like five different angles. You know, coaches love to see those angles on film as much as players do to learn. So I think it's another neat, uh, a neat point there is uh, being able to show the coaches some different angles. Yeah, and talk, when, yeah go ahead. talking about your point on the 70-yarder, I mean, I, 
I agree. I think it's impressive to hit a 70-yarder even with a 25 on our win. However, what would make it more impressive is is hitting a 45 or 50-yarder in that into that same exact win. Correct. You know, you know, like the 70-yarder is awesome. Thanks for showing that. But let me see you hit like a 40-yarder or 45 or 50-yarder into that same win the other way. You got it. You know, you know, Heck, I'll, I'll take a 22-yarder on a game <laughs> night where you want a game. I'll take the 22-yarder before the 70-yarder as long as there's some pressure around you. You but, know, you know uh, what's funny is right. I just left the training field a couple hours ago, and it was two kids, first ever training sessions with these two particular kids. And I just told them, hey, we're going to finish on 10 extra points each, and I'm going to hold the ball for you. And I told them the most repped kick you're going to get in a game throughout your whole career, whether it's one season with football or eight seasons or 12 seasons, is an extra point. You know, and obviously from high school and college, it's 20 yards. I'm like, it doesn't matter if you're the best kicker ever that's going to be drafted in the second round or fourth round or the worst kicker ever, and you're going to be kicking for the JV team. You're going to be kicking extra points the most. And so I think a lot of kids, they just, they go out, hit a couple one-steps, and they go straight to straight to 40 yards, and I think they just need to be more realistic. So what does it remind you of? I'm a multi-sport guy. It reminds me of watching a kid in the gym. Okay, He's not there working on his touch around the rim and doing his layups and all that or doing his free throws. You know, you, you heat it up and you get back to the three-point line, right? But to your point, you're probably going to shoot more free throws um, over, over the course of a normal game than depending on what position you play, maybe not a point guard or a shooting guard, then three-pointers. And um, it is, it, it goes back to, hey, just do the routine things routinely. I know when I worked with my boss at St. Thomas, he would always say to our, our, our kickers, hey, I don't need you to hit a 55-yarder. That'd be great if you could. But, man, if you can be 85%, 90 100% inside a 37 then we're going to be able to win and do the things that we want to do as a team. And I think setting up those goals and those expectations for them um, helps them develop the proper practice habits. Because everyone, yeah, everyone wants to hit the big one. I get that. But where are you going to spend most of your time in a game? Probably not kicking 50 yarders in Division Three football. So I'm curious, going back to recruiting, when you're watching film for these guys, you know, you were you were at St. Thomas for a number of years. You know, powerhouse program with high expectations. And when you're trying to recruit a specialist in general, how much did you look at potential versus current technique versus, you know, are they 100% ready right on the spot, or was it based off of what your current need was versus who you already had on roster? Yeah, I would say that you know every coach. I'm like any other coach. You know, when I'm looking at the quarterback throw 70, and then I'm looking at the other kid throw 50. You know, everything is telling me, as a coach, I can I can work with that guy at 70 and make him even better. This could be an All-American, right? But there's so many other things that go into it. And generally, when you're recruiting a specialist, it's different with the quarterback. If I go in and talk to the head coach, hey, tell me about your quarterback. He could go on for 30 minutes about the quarterback. But if I went into that head coach and said, tell me about your, your kicker and your punter, how long do you think that guy's going to talk on the kicker and the punter? Two minutes. Ah, you know, I don't know much about that. This other guy is working with him. We just kind of let him do his own thing, right? So what I have to do is rely on guys like yourselves who are with these guys. And it's not just about how far can they kick it is. 
are they mentally tough? How do they respond after a poor kick or after a poor session? Do they get back out there and work? Do they overkick um, because they're panicked? Are they cool? Can they handle themselves? And, you know, comparing and now taking another step, comparing the quarterback with the kicker punter, I would say this. The best of quarterbacks, it's kind of like uh, pitchers. You've got to be able to take the bad play out of your mind and get back out there and reset. And a lot of that is mental. And I will tell you that I feel like guys like yourselves have a way better um, – uh, I guess uh, feeling for how those guys handle it sometimes than maybe the high school football coach because they don't have the background. And um, so that's probably where I rely a little bit more on guys like yourselves that, that really get to be with these guys all the time and um, help train them. And, and, and you've seen their work ethic over, uh, through a number of different years and how they've grown and learned and responded to coaching. And that's another big one. What do you see as specialists where they struggle as a first-year player at the college level, and what kind of advice would you give them? Like, what would that transition piece be like where the kids are like, holy crap, you know, or, or something changes? And I know it's kind of a broad question, but like... Well, well first off, I'm going to just say in general. I think one of, you know, one of the things that I've been doing some research on and I'm going to continue to build on is I think... The transition into college in general is much harder than any student, let alone a student athlete or a kicker or a punter or a specialist, whatever, um, understands. And I think when you get recruited oftentimes, in recruiting, no one tells you it's going to be tough. I, I, I give my former boss, Glenn Caruso, a lot of credit because he had no problem whatsoever looking families in the eye and looking a kid in the eye and saying, this is going to be really, really tough. Okay? It's going to be worthy in the end, but there's going to be nothing easy about this process. And I think ultimately times in the recruiting process, it's, oh, it's going to be great. You're going to be the best one on the team. You're going to be our starter. You're going to be an All-American. And then realistically, you come into college, and there's a lot of things that have changed in your life. You're in a new home. You probably just left you know, your girlfriend or your boyfriend's at home, whatever it is. Um, you're in a situation where... Um, you know, the third kicker on a team or a fourth kicker on a team, and who prepares you for that? Now, once you've done all of that and you've processed all that, now you're in a situation, I say, on the field, I think the biggest transition, most people are going to say, kicking off the ground, right, for a kicker. You know, shouldn't change the long snapper very much. Uh, your kickoff shouldn't change all that much, a little bit different with the tee. Um, and punting shouldn't change that much. But... Um, where I believe the biggest transition is once you get to that next level and you realize that we might have a guy doing field goals, we might have a guy doing PATs, we might have a guy doing kickoffs, we might have another guy doing punting, trying to be good at really what is two or three different movements, I think that's the biggest challenge in trying to one, win one of three jobs. And Chris, I know we talked a lot about, man, it, I think – you ask your general football group, and they're going to go, wow, he's a kicker. Just go out there and kick it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the way you swing on a PAT is way different than the way that you're going to swing on a kickoff. And I think that is one of the most underrated um, points of transitioning in, specifically as a kicker and a specialist into college, is understanding now, I don't, 
I have to be better than everyone on the team at three different swings, especially if I'm a punter. So, and then you throw in the holding factor where, where you know, a lot of teams are going to ask their punters to hold. I know we didn't at St. Thomas a whole lot, but that's a lot of, lot of, lot of little specialties that you need to master. And now there's three other guys that want that same job. So I think then you throw the mental game on top of that after everything that is the college process and transitioning into college. It's tough. It's really, really tough. And you know what? 25 years ago, every team in the country, man, they were just happy to have anyone that could kick off and kick. Most of your punters were just position guys that played quarterback or were really good athletes. Now, because of guys like yourselves and all the training, you guys have helped create this monster of there's going to be three kickers on every team. And now you're like a quarterback and a wide receiver and an alignment where you're battling. And it wasn't like that before and um it's a singular position and it even makes it tougher when it's singular there's no other place to go there's not four kickers on the field like there's five alignment or there's not uh, three wide receiver you know three kickers like there's three wide receivers so it's a major challenge big time challenge but yeah the product is getting way better speaking on that what I've been noticing with a lot of programs is they're having one guy do each skill set like one guy to field goals one guy doing punts, one guy doing kickoffs. And I think in the coach's mind, they're like, I just don't want these kids being head cases. Let them just focus on kickoffs and do the kickoffs. Let this guy do field goals and do the field goals. You know, but, but now guys are starting to see that they're having to walk on more. You know, it, it seemed like probably five, seven years ago, it was a lot easier to get athletic scholarships out of high school. Where now we're seeing a lot more walk-on, preferred walk-on, walk-on opportunities and grad transfers. You know, what? spread some light on that, on the transition. Is there a transition even? Talk about that. Uh, I just want to clarify, transition with what? Like, do, you, do you think there, I mean, my opinion, I, I feel like there is a transition of now. It doesn't seem like guys are getting scholarships out of high school as much as they used to. Got it. Got and, it. Also, and also, is are we turning into now where guys are just going to have to face it that it may just be the field goal, field goal guy only their whole career, or or is that just something that I happen to be seeing here and there? I don't know. Yeah, and you know what? It might go another level. You know, I'll, I'll take it another level and just say, hey, with with where the kicking the kick off rules are going, do you need a guy that pounds at eighty yards anymore? You know, we were almost on the other end of it, going, I don't want to give him the ball to twenty five. Can we find a creative way to kick it down the field where they won't fair catch it? We can keep them inside the twenty five and not get them to fair catch it. So. Um, yeah, you guys would know the numbers better than I, but I'm under the understanding right now that there is probably less than ever the same guy doing kickoffs, doing field goals, and doing punting in the history of college football. Yeah, you probably, like you said, there's probably three different guys handling, or at least two. Where, like I said, years ago, it, the, the same guy is definitely kicking off and definitely doing PT field goal. Um, it was probably your punter, maybe not, but I, I would, I would, I would say it's probably fairly rare now to have someone doing all three. I would, what fifty percent of the teams probably have one kicker doing two. Um, but well, you guys I, would know I'm better even, than I. I'm even seeing a handful of teams where their punter is doing the field goal duty, <laughs> and you have kick, kickoff guy, and I'm scratching my head because. It's two completely different swings. However, yeah. the, the few teams that I've seen do it, the guy's actually been pretty darn good. And I think because they don't have to 
wear their leg out on kickoffs. You know, yeah. it's just it's just crazy. It's like their brain can work where they know, okay, it's field goal time, so my brain knows to swing this way. Okay, it's yeah. time. You know, so it's very rare, but it's interesting to me because it's not a whole lot of wear tearing your leg on right. kickoffs. That's, that's where it happens on kickoffs. For Chris, sure. What's your opinion, Chris? You know, some, sometimes the common thread that you hear is, you know, punting and kickoffs, you're less, you have to be less accurate unless, you know, it's a team that focuses on dropping inside the numbers. But, you know, accuracy on field goals is, is important. But it's just interesting all the different strategies out there and how to best prepare a kicker for college for those types of things. And so I, I don't know, it's interesting how it's, how it's evolving. Travis, I'm curious, you know, a lot of kickers maybe who don't make it to the Division One level, uh, you know, may go to Division Two, Division Three, and there's not necessarily a specialist-type coach or a special teams coach that really understands specialists. If kids are going to practices and they don't necessarily have somebody guiding them along to tell them what to do, how could a specialist maybe be in the, in, in the, good, the good side of a coach and by staying involved with practice or doing certain things so that they don't look like the guy that's just standing on the sidelines the whole time? Yeah, you, you obviously know we, we took a lot of uh, pride in St. Thomas in keeping our specialists active so they don't over-punt or over-snap or over-kick. And what does that mean? That means, you know, I'm not going to say glorified manager, but yeah, ball spotters, they're on the chains, they're shagging, they're helping different position groups um, um, with their drills. And, um, you know, this it's a really interesting story. Um and how this came about for me, um, again, I kind of explained what kickers were 25 years ago when I was playing college football. And I grew up playing soccer, so I was a kicker. I was a punter. I was a kickoff guy in high school. And I got to college, and actually I was a starting tailback and a punter in college as well, going back to my comments earlier. And um, as I think about... Um, what I perceived the kicker to be back then was he would show up for pre-practice and kick and or maybe punt. Then we didn't see him for two hours. And then right before practice was over, we'd do some field goals at the end of the practice and he was back. And when he missed, most of the team would be like, ah, oh, you know, it's the kicker. He's missing, you know. He didn't, he never seemed part of the team because literally he would leave and then he would come back. We then had a guy named Steve Opkin North. We recruited him. I was at Winona State at the time. And Steve was what I would consider pretty rare in the fact that he was a kicker. And he also wanted to be a football coach. So what he did is he started. He, he hung around practice. He helped the linebackers in their drills. Then he went down with the quarterbacks. And that was the first I saw of if, if Steve missed a field goal and he ran off, the team went to him. Hey, man, no problem. You know? Great job, whatever. And the only difference was is he endeared himself to everyone because he stuck around. He was there all practice. And you guys know what. And back then it was just him. There was no coach. He was our only kicker. But he made himself part of the team. Light bulb went on in my head. Like, this is what we have to do with every specialist. And we got to have a specialist group. And I'm so thankful throughout the years that Coach Caruso always committed to saying, our specialists deserve a coach just like every other position on our team. And it doesn't need to be, yeah, we were fortunate when we had Chris where technically we could be really, really sound. 
But I go back to my days as a youth baseball coach uh, and a summer rec coordinator. It's like pitching sometimes. You kind of got to navigate the mind a little bit, and you got to keep them in check. And sometimes it's just that one little reminder that can get them back going again. Or it's just stop kicking. You know, just let's cut the reps. Let's start over tomorrow. And there's no reason why specialists shouldn't have that same opportunity in the media room because we all know I'm a special teams coordinator, but I'm also a safeties coach. So while I'm in the special teams meeting, generally talking on a lot of different topics, I'm not in that individual meeting with the specialist because I'm with the safeties at that time. So that's how we did it. Uh, we took a lot of pride in it. Um, I feel like our specialists always enjoyed practice because I've never been a specialist standing there the whole time watching the whole practice. Um, I've watched those guys do it. It seems really cold in November. But I think our guys really enjoyed moving around, being a part of the team, going in and out of drills. And um, But you would have to talk to some of those guys throughout the years to, to, to back me up on that, I guess. But, Chris, I guess I would ask you, you know, as a coach, You've coached a lot of years as a, as a specialist coach. I mean, what was your impression on how the specialists were used at St. Thomas and what the feedback was you got from them in terms of the way practice operated? Yeah. Well, it, it was, yeah, when I was at St. Thomas, it was different that the kids were so involved because, you know, at the high school level where I was for a number of years, a lot of times we were double dipping with a kid that played soccer, and so he was coming from soccer practice, and maybe we got him for 30 minutes. So it was a little bit different. And then yeah, good point. from a kicking coach perspective, you know, I had like 100 drills in my head of what I wanted to do. You know, And then when we did pre-practice, you're typically just getting the guys warmed up so that they're ready to roll. And uh, so sometimes it'd be like, you know, I have two two periods to do some sort of drill, and then they got to run off and do something. So it was. I would say it was good and bad. It was good that that it did keep them busy, and especially in the winters when it was getting cold, it kept them warmer. And I think that that yeah. they like that. But um, you know, just as a, a kicker or snapper-minded coach, you know, it kind of know the drills I wanted to do. But I, you know, that was my mindset of wanting to make them as fundamentally sound as I could. You know, for you're the team. like every other coach, in the individual coach in the country. We never have enough energy to do it. <laughs> never. Yep. You know, and that's just a product of. You know, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta embrace your role and say this is what's best for the team, and you know, we're gonna make it work the best we can. And but I agree with you, Chris. You know, thinking it a little, and you were, you were really in thirteen years. We probably only had two specialist coaches that had a good knowledge background. Most of them were just guys coming in to coach and kind of keep these guys on track. And uh, so I could see where it'd be a little bit more frustrating in your end, saying, "Man, we have so many more drills we could be doing here." I think the other guys are like. Thank God they're going over to spot balls because I ran out of drills right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard that too, you know, those types of comments. Um, I got an interesting question, and it just came to mind as I, as I think about this type of stuff. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, maybe there's three or four kickers now that are all pretty good competing, to, you know, against each other. Um, a lot of times Brian and I field questions about maybe kickers who want to transfer or just athletes in general. But if a, spe if a specialist thought about transferring, what, I guess, from a coach's perspective, what would be the best way for them to just approach that, that topic with you guys, and how would you, how did you typically handle it as a coach? You're saying as a kid that's leaving the school that I was at. Yeah, maybe, or they, yeah, they want to maybe transfer because they're maybe not quite getting the opportunity to play, so they want to go somewhere else, 
maybe with the best chance to start? Number one, just be honest. Don't text me. Don't call me. We recruited you. Um, we spent a lot of time uh, on you in our program, and you've given us a lot of time. Let's, if it's going to be ended, let's end it right like we would want to do in any other interaction where, hey, Coach, can I come in and talk to you? What's going on? You know, what we hear a lot is I, you know, kind of lost the passion for the game. No, I, no, I don't think you did. I think you're now in a situation where you're number three in the depth chart. You're used to being number one. And most of these conversations generally are had in year one. It's that transitional year that I was talking about earlier. I can't, I would say it's, oh man, five, ten times more likely that that conversation and those words coming out of the mouth happen in the freshman year more than any other year, and it's not even close. Um, I think sometimes you got to sit back and go, well, wait a minute. If I were the starting kicker, would those words be coming out of my mouth right now? Nothing else is different. You're practicing, your time commitment, you got to do your studies and everything else. Um, what is the root of the problem? I would a lot of times just rather have a kid come in and say, you know what, I love kicking. Um, I came here and really thought I was going to come in and, and make an impact, and um, this was just way tougher than I thought. I don't know if I can beat these two guys out in front of me. Yeah. At which point, I would probably say as a coach, this is where you're at right now. These are the steps that you need to take to try to get to that spot that you want to get to. Or maybe I've uh, observed some things where you're just your attention to detail is poor. You don't seem into it. Can we make some changes to get you moving in the right direction and get you striking the ball better? But I think what every coach would say, and it's easy for me to say, because I think, Chris, you know, in our program, we're pretty blunt with our kids on our expectations and where they're at and depth charts and all that. And I think um, if you're not getting that type of coaching, it could be a little bit harder to come in face-to-face and say, this is why I'm leaving. I think that's why we've had a lot of honest conversations throughout the years. Um, but ultimately, just be honest. Mm-hmm. Speak, hey, emote, you know, uh, share your feelings. I know sometimes that's hard to do, which is a whole other topic that I could go on hours about, especially in males. And it's like, let them know how you're feeling. Be very solid in what your beliefs are at the time. Have a great conversation. See if see if it can be resolved, and if it can't, then we got to uh, part our separate ways. But just don't go in with the idea of hey, I've lost the passion of it, and then we find out you just transferred to the next school next to us. I mean, it's just it's not a great way to lead your life and move forward, in my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I'm going back a couple of topics back um, when you're talking about Chris coaching at the college level. Yeah, um, I, I coach. I was a specialist coach and coverage teams coordinator at a D2 school at Miles College for two years. Mm-hmm. The second year, we won the SEAC championship, and, and our kicker was All-American and had wow. five out of seven 50-plus yarders. And one thing that I credited myself on as, as a kicking coach on a college staff was rep count because a lot of these college coaches, they, they do not comprehend or understand that when you make a kid go hit 23-step kicks <laughs> – <laughs> to the returners on kickoffs and then 10 to 15 punt pops for people to block and then they got to do their seven or eight field goal reps with the team you know and then and then next thing you know they have to do 20 field goal charts at the side and then yeah. they have 
these guys don't understand, even at the high school level, you know, you, you do your, well, what I did, did. What I did is I told the coaches, look, these guys, we only have two kickers on here that can do both, and I need, we're going to need their legs at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, so it's, when are you going to do your kick periods? Well, coach, when do you want to do them? Uh, I'd rather just go ahead and get them out of the way the first two or three periods, and that way I can do – I know where, what reps they're at, and then I can do that the rest of the way. So I literally counted their – if they were swinging their leg, like a, like if they're just doing a pop no step, there's not much exertion there. But as soon as they got into one a one step kick, they're swinging their leg. There's exertion energy there. So I would start right there. So yeah. as soon as they got to 40, 50, and we still had an hour and a half left of regular practice, I shut their legs down and we just did little stuff, man. I would we would jog around the track. I would jog with them. We would just jog around the track for six laps. I mean, nothing hard. Then we did like some abs, and then we went and watched watched offense for twenty or thirty minutes. Then we did holds, you know. And so I think I think it would be so beneficial if these coaches would consider professional kicking coaches that are that are credible to be on their staff. You, you see it at Mississippi State. Chris Boniel played in the NFL. He was uh, like a like a senior advisor. That was his technical term but he worked with the specialists and then they had two guys go to the nfl and then now he's with the buccaneers you know and his main role is was really the kicking coach even though he was advising all of the graduate assistants um and quality control coaches essentially he was the specialist coach and now he's with the bucks and as you can see two guys two guys with the nfl and i mean i didn't think those guys were going to go to the nfl to be, to be quite honest with you i mean i didn't know logan cook um, was going to go to the NFL, and that's not a knock on him. I just didn't know, but shoot, yeah. I mean, he's killing it for the Jags, and, and I think a lot of credit is to that kicking coach. So, I mean, do you foresee any time in the next 10 years coaches starting a trend of, of having a kicking coach on their staff? I really thought we'd see more of them with the extra coach that was added to the NCAA. Um, I'm not too proud to say that I learned the hard way with that. And um, we got to the point where we had some injuries with our with our kickers mainly. And what do you do as a coach? You try to get better. You, you, you call people you know. You get resources. More than anything, talk to the guys. They're the ones living it and saying, what do we need to do to help you out? And we kind of said, um, you're only going to do um, this many kicks in this five-minute period you're going to follow this exact pattern in this five minute period. So, so I'm with you. And I think I said earlier, I, I'm not, you know, so proud to admit that we learned the hard way, but I'm also very proud to say we, we took the steps we needed to, to get things in place where we could have a healthier specialist group. And a lot of that is just getting feedback from them. Um, and I do believe especially absolutely with the specialists that people that have been through it and have trained understand uh, what those limits are on different weather conditions. You know, no one ever thinks about plant foot, right? Um, you know, eh, it's cold out or it's, you know, you plant on your foot to kick over and over and over again and you slip once and all of a sudden you tweak something. I mean, that, that can take your whole swing off. And then you have to run down and do a kickoff and go on that same plant foot. I mean, there's just 
there's all types of stuff that I think the, 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 the knowledge that someone that's been through it could provide would be great. And as the TV contracts keep going up and more and more attention, as we know now, is paid to that last-minute field goal, um, yeah, I think you are going to see more more guys uh, promoted, and I think you're going to see a legit kicking specialist. And, I, you know, now on the other side of this, more of the kicking specialists like yourselves should be working, you know, if you got, I, I don't know how, I know how old Chris is, I don't know how old you are, Brian, but I turn it the other way and go, you guys already have mastered the harder part of all this. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm curious. Go out, is there, go is there like a bus. perception? Is there like a perception of college coaches where they think those guys aren't going to want to come do 100 hours a week? You know, they're they're do they perceptually no, think, think do they perceptually think that these guys are make these kicking coaches are making thousands of dollars? Why would they even want to come? No, I think, honestly, I think the perception is they don't know special teams, they don't know kickoff, they don't know punt uh, protections, all that. I think most football guys think I want a guy that's been on the offense that understands punt protections. You know, I want a kickoff guy that's been on a defensive scheme that understands how we're going to fit this. I think it's more that side of it. So if there's a bias to anything, I don't think it's that we think you guys are making so much money you wouldn't want to be a special teams coordinator. I think it's the other side of it where you haven't cut your teeth and you haven't been on an offensive side of the ball in a defensive meeting, and you haven't been coordinating special teams for years at the college level. And that, that's my personal I don't know what you guys think about that, but I think that's where the bias lies. I don't think it's the idea that we don't think um, that kicking coaches would want to do it. And one would say to me, you know, why would I ever have that bias? I didn't know anything about special teams and pump protections. And hey, Coach Crusoe came into me at, at McAllister 14 years ago and said, well, you were an offensive coordinator. I'm the offensive coordinator now. You're the special teams coordinator. And you know what? I figured it out. So um, I just think there's part of, you know, the GA going through the system, then he's the wide receiver, then he moves to DPs, and now he's the special teams coordinator. You know, a lot of times – you don't have a lot of kickers that leave college football and go, I'm going to go be a GA. And part of it is the time serve thing, kind of like you guys are talking or re referencing and how I referenced it. But no, I don't think it has anything to do with the idea that they don't think that you would do it. I think they're saying, well, they've kicked the ball, but do they know the ins and outs of special teams and blocking and the rules and everything else that go with it? And see, personally, Chris may completely disagree with me on this. I mean, I don't mind doing the coverage and the return and all that, but I don't know if I necessarily would want to do that. I would want to be focusing on the physical kicking, running, and snapping. Right. I mean, it, it essentially wins and loses ball games. It does. You, you so hear, does, so, so you, does the scheme part. I know, but you hear college coaches all the time say, you know, man, we're really evened up well on offense defense, so we really need to win the kicking game. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, then get yourself a damn kicking coach to help the kicking game. But that's what I'm saying to you guys as well. I think what the college, what a lot of these coaches are saying is, I just don't want to hire a guy that's only going to do that. So what I'm saying is, you guys have already mastered the craft. If I was, if I had your knowledge base right now, and I was 23 years old, which you know maybe you can't have both of those things. But if you're a really good kicker leaving college, and you've sat in that special that special teams meeting, and you sat back and go, all I got to do is catch the ball and punt it. 
if you would take, um, sit in those meetings, take notes, really study what's going on, try to help out with all the scout teams, learn it, and you had all the kicking and the punting and the long snap, all that background, and you became a coordinator, it would be really hard to say no. And that's yeah. where I think a guy like Gary's honor, you know, I don't know what came first. I don't know if he was a special teams coordinator that learned the craft or if it was vice versa. Okay. Right. But I would say this. If people knew that you guys knew the X's and O's inside and out, it would be a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, and I think I, you have I a much better advantage than I do where I go, I, I know the X's and O's, but I know nothing about it. Man, so if, when I was at Miles, I mean, what we did is, uh, it was with a particular position coach, the head punt team, and a particular position coach, the kickoff team, and then the O-line coach had the field goal team. Right. And I told coach, the head coach, I want to be working with these three coaches because yeah. Yeah. I understand what the kicker and the punter and the snapper need to be doing with these particular protections and coverages and all that. So, like, for example, when these, when these coaches out of nowhere say, hey, I want you to tee it up on the right hash as a right-footed kicker, and I want you to do an onside surprise left. <laughs> and all these kickers are like, oh, fuck. I have to run all the way around to the right and twist my hips and kick it over to the left and make sure no one's offsides. And I still have to get it at 13 yards, and they end up kicking it 25, 30 yards down the field or shanking it. And that's mm-hmm. where I come and I'm like, coach, that's not realistic as a kicker. And that's where things helped, okay? Punt team. All right, hey, I want you at 12 and a half yards on a, on a punt protect shield. Like, coach, our kicker is six foot, our punter is six foot two, so you're going to have him one and a half step and kick it in the lineman's rear end? Sorry, I mean, he needs to be at 14. You know, mm-hmm. that's where I think coming in and understanding the protection and knowing that and then being able to correlate that with the kicking and making it more efficient. Totally you know, agree. like things on field goal. I mean, like, Having a certain cadence. I mean, that certain cadences bother kickers. And so that's why I think it's important, you know, to have that kicking coach. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. So, you know, you basically got two entities. You got the kicking specialist and you got the special teams coordinator. And I personally believe it's easier to transition where you guys are at and learn the special teams portion of it than it is being on the special team side of it learning the kicking but i might just be saying that because i know how tough it's been trying it's been for me to try to learn everything i need to learn with the kicking the punting the long snap we might have other guys that say it's way easier to learn the technical side of that but i don't i think you guys have mastered the harder the harder portions of it i got a coaching strategy question for you here travis um one thing i admired about you and obviously just st thomas over the years as an alum is is the creativity you always had with special teams and in finding an edge? So, if we had any sort of special teams coach that listened to this, you know, what what was your thought process on having an edge on special team strategy? Because I had, I admired it. I remember hearing you explain it to me, but just if anybody wanted to learn from that, are you talking more like specialty plays or? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like I remember you guys talking about, you know, throwing a fake. PAT in there early on, or, or strategy stuff that keeps the defense honest. Yeah. Well, I think um, you, know, you you always have to consider what's your situation. And that's going to change 10 different times a year in Division three football. 
are you the team that's going to win the game by 50? Is it going to be a really competitive game? You know, are you putting out there, um, you know, a lot of times, I go back to my offensive days a lot of times and say how I looked at special teams really uh, um, was more of my offensive personality. Okay, Is this a game where I'm just going to have – it's going to be really competitive and I got to throw everything I got at this team to beat them. Okay. Those are the fun ones because you're not holding anything back. You're just going at it. Okay. Now, is it a game that we're going to win by 60 and we just want to break some tendencies? Yeah. You know, that, that, that's a way to look at it. Or is it a game that, you know what? Um, we want to be very complimentary in the way we call it to try to set up the next team. Um, there are all things that need to, be considered and if you have a good staff I think you consider all those things um, um, throughout a given week and again it changes every week to go in and go uh, you know we're just going to do what we did last week or we're going to the first five games of the year we're just going to we're going to play it the same and I think you got to have a new plan every week because you got a new team you're going against every week and you got a different team that you're going against the next week and if you're blind to all the scenarios in front of you and behind you, I just I think you're selling yourself short a little bit on special teams. Um, yeah, we wanted to have a nice little arsenal of onside kicks. We wanted to, we wanted teams to know that we are always willing to fake it on punt. We want teams to know that we're going to throw it on returns, throw it across the field on a reverse. Why? Because when we want to do our fastball. Um, we want them thinking about all those other things, okay? When the game's on the line and we need a 38-yard field goal at the end of the game, we don't want them bringing pressure. We want them worried about the 15 fakes they watched us run throughout the course of the year. And I have to believe that that does um, benefit our specialist group, knowing that these guys aren't even rushing right now because of what's been done the weeks prior, the months prior, heck, the years prior, if you're in the same league, right? Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes, you know, having that reputation, and I was lucky I played for a coach that he basically would come in on Monday and go, all right, what do we got? You know, what's new? Uh, what, what do you got that's a little bit different this week? What's special? And there's other guys that just don't do that. So, hey, you have to play your role based on what's passed down to you and, and what the expectations are. I was just fortunate enough to work for a coach that said, hey, I, I want you pushing the envelope. I want you to be creative. I want our kids to have fun. I want our coaches to have fun. And that means changing it up. Mm -hmm. Because of the creativity that you tried to have with St. Thomas, what? Uh, how did you handle the kickoff rule where teams could fair catch? And, and how did you, how'd you, how'd you try to strategize for something like that with the, with the kickoff return fair catch rule? Um, well, you know, we were... We, all, we always dedicated a lot of resources to our kickoff units. And what I mean by that is we had no problem playing, you know, three, four, five defensive starters, maybe two offensive starters or some, you know, some really good players in kickoff. Because as we charted our kickoff team throughout the years, I mean, there were years where, well, put it this way, when you're scoring as many points as our offense has, our kickoff unit has been somewhere between 95 and 110 reps uh, per year over the past 10 years, okay? So when you play 10 to 15 games, that's anywhere between 6 to 10 reps a game. It's a lot. Um, and in our best of years, 
the average starting field position of the other team was probably the 22-yard line. And then you start saying, well, um, if the ball starts inside the 25-yard line, our defense only gives up a score 8% of the time. You can start seeing how to uh, set your goals. So going back to your question, you're saying, well, now we just had teams throwing their hand up in the air every time. That's mm-hmm. it. We're taking it at the 25. We're not going to risk being inside the 25-yard line when all we have to do, one, put our hand in the air, catch it. No one gets hit. No risk of fumble. Um, we don't feel demoralized after they just brought 11 guys down the field and, and knocked everyone over. I mean, it's it really, in our league, um, you, you look at what's happened in our league on the football side. There's no, you know, nationally with St. Thomas getting removed. Just take it to another level. I mean, throwing throwing the hand up and saying we're done, you know. And uh, um, so, I guess our thought was, what can we do that doesn't put the ball in the air that might get a kid to get a little bit nervous? And you know, we talked about moving the ball down the field and in a kick that's somewhere between a squib. Don't want it on the ground where it dies. Don't want it up in the air where they have time to make a decision, but maybe just a little bit more of a line drive that might hit the ground and run a little bit and give us a little bit more time to get down the field and and ultimately hope, hopefully puts them in a situation where they have to make a decision. And in a stressful time, sometimes those returners don't make a good decision. And we messed a little bit uh, around with that, but you know, in the end, if you kick the ball in the air and they decide to fair catch, there isn't a whole lot you can do. Yep. Yeah, that was, you know, from my perspective as a kicking coach, I anticipated that colleges would probably squib a little bit more, like just like what you said. But like as a, as a kicking coach talking to college coaches, they were like, I want a guy who can either kick it out of the back of the end zone or hang it high and drop it on the two. But, you know, that seems like it could still be for fair caught if you're just hanging it up there. So why not, you know, why not, why not squib it more unless you're just worried about your stats, you know, your, your kickoff distant stats or something like that and that's you know that's something where i think you bring up stats and i spent a lot of time charting throughout the years and i would get too carried away with what our stats are in the end what are we doing to prepare to win games and as soon as you start getting into all the stats and all that you're making calls and you're devising game plans to protect yourself as a coach and it's just it's not what it should be all about and i remember about five years ago i went I'm done worrying about stats. I'm not looking at stats anymore. I'm still going to chart the things that my head coach needs me to chart. But it's going to be for education, not for um, trying to get an All-American. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it really just helped overall my sense of what is most important here. And you take it into what the real-world stuff now. What is most important? Hopefully it's relationships, and hopefully it's uh, – um, leaving a legacy behind and not all the flashy stuff and settling into that really helped me probably get me to where I'm at now and making some decisions in my life and that was probably just that little nudge five years ago to start saying in a football manner what should be most important and it's kind of helped me grow here over the last five years into you know bigger life decisions. So yeah so let's talk about it you know um, you know we're kind of Touching on subjects that are good for parents, good for the specialists, maybe kids that want to coach or current coaches. You recently just transitioned out of coaching, you know, so as a maybe a young parent or somebody that's maybe coached for a while, what are some factors that kind of go in your mind to say, you know, maybe it's time to try something else? 
Yeah, um, well, I'll start this whole thing off by saying very clearly, I could have easily coached another 20 years and retired at 65 and felt like I had a really good life. I mean, the, the same, this situation we had St. Thomas was phenomenal in a lot of, for, for our family in a lot of ways. Um, didn't have to travel much to work. Didn't have to travel at all in league, like every game was a home game. Worked for a guy that we never had to be in before 8.30 in the morning, and we never had to be there after a practice. Um, with that being said, um, I think I started to peel back some layers of my life and say, while I could be happy, I'll certainly be happy. Um, in 20 years, if that's all I've ever done, will I have challenged myself to the point that I wanted to challenge myself? And would I, can I take a step away and figure out, um, could I be good at something else? And could I affect a group of people or student athletes or families that at St. Thomas, I, I really couldn't. You know, St. Thomas, we got a really polished product, a really good academic kid, generally middle to upper class family. And um, in my case, my wife and I live in a, a very developing neighborhood on the east side of St. Paul. And fortunately, my wife, before I had met her, had uh, bought this home. The city kind of came in in a redevelopment mode and just on our block here and said, you know, we're going to try to pump some life into this community. And in the process, you know, you start realizing two and three doors down that literally these families and these kids have nothing. You know, uh, we had a local family that we, our neighborhood kind of came together and helped recently. And I went up and talked to mom and said, how could we help? And I go in the house and there are two couches in the living room and nothing else. And I look in the dining room and there's nothing. And you start to say to yourself, well, is there any way in which I can affect people in neighborhoods like this? And so we started uh, myself and actually a former St. Thomas guy, Michael Lotta. We're just doing a little Monday night football gig up at the local rec center. They can't charge anything at this rec center because of the area that we're in. It's just it's low income. And so in the end, I said, you know what? I might completely fall on my face. Uh, at one point, I kind of decided that I didn't want or I couldn't see myself being a, uh, a head football coach. Um, but what I found is in the process of leaving uh, the coaching realm and starting your own business, that's essentially what you are, right? Mm -hmm. You're a head coach of a business. And the only thing is I don't have a lot of assistants to look at and ask their opinions. And Well, Chris, you know, I, I've called you many a times. So yep. <laughs> how do you do this? You know, so... Um, so, and another neat little sidebar off this, my brother who coaches in the NFL, uh, with the Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles, one of his mentors was Mark, uh, Trussman, uh, great cup champion, coach for the Bears for a while. Now he's the, the GM down with, uh, I think an XFL team in Tampa. And, uh, he goes, well, tell me about your business. I start rambling off and it's not tight. It's not thrift at all. It's just all over the place. And he goes, Everything you just said sounds like being a head coach. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, consulting programs, mentoring coaches, uh, public speaking, working. And I'm like, yeah, you know. So I don't know. I'm in this flex right now. And, and basically what I want to do is create something that probably dabbles in a lot of different realms. But 
as a business is probably just unique enough that no one else is actually doing it. Um, so there will be some of what you guys are doing in the, the player development. Mm-hmm. Um, I like where you guys have kind of dived into, hey, let's, well, this is a perfect example of it, the podcast, education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just cringe when I watch kids running around cones and going, some family just gave 90 bucks an hour to have their kids run around cones, which is great. And I know that they're paying some really good trainers to get them in the best physical shape as possible. But really, can't we take 15 minutes out of that hour, hour and a half and talk on a subject that might help change their lives? And that just goes back to my educational background in elementary ed and then my master's in ed. There's got to be more that we can be giving them in that hour, hour and a half besides, you know, kicking technique. Um, And then, you know, I going to try to bet against the market here and say I don't want to be training anyone in football season. Heck, I would rather every kid in America be a multi-sport athlete, but if you're not going to play basketball and you're not going to play baseball and you want to get better at football, well, then I'll be there for you. But the best thing you can do is be on a team at your school being a great leader and being a great teammate. Mm-hmm. So I go back and I said, well, I can't do lessons during football season. So what am I going to do there? Well, I, I kind of came up with the idea based on my experience as a college coach. You know, we're pretty well prepared in college. You know, we, we spend all spring doing some stuff and all summer we got our playbooks going and we're pretty much done. And what you realize sometimes with the high school guys is, you know, they got other full-time jobs. They're teaching full-time. And all of a sudden June, July rolls around. It's like, well, or start figuring out what we're going to be doing in, 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 in football this fall. And that's changed a little bit. The cycle's got bumped back a little bit because now Minnesota, you get your 11 days in the summer. So um, I'm taking all these phone calls in June and July, and as a college coach, you go, I'd love to be able to come speak. I'd love to come watch your practice. I'd love to have you up on campus, but we're rolling. You know, we, we just don't have time in, in June and July to be consulting anymore. That, our time is February, March, April, you know? And um, so I said, why don't I field those phone calls now and be able to help them? And hopefully go see them at a practice, go see them at a game when, when things are on the line, not in February in this sterile rule where you got to run this. Let's dive in and find out what is going wrong or what is going right in season. So basically want to do is consult four programs in season being probably one of the only coaches that's not coaching football Mm -hmm. that hopefully they trust enough and believe this guy from a programmatic standpoint has been around enough good people and has learned and we trust him uh he's been great in recruiting that we're going to welcome into our program and, and and be willing to say do you have four six eight things that that, that you can watch in our practice to say, I think you could get better right now by doing this, or this is what you guys are doing really, really well. So, and then the last piece is a mentoring piece where there's a lot of coaches out there that are coaching their first year of football. It might be the parent that goes, I don't know what I'm doing, but no one else is going to coach this team. Well, I would love to be able to help them as well. Or maybe it's a situation where they've gotten off track and they're very transactional in their coaching and they're not transformational and, they're not leading the right way. They're not happy about the way that they coach. And I would love to be a, a mentor at some point and helping them. And then uh, ultimately also some public speaking with the whole college process. I think 
I think it's a little broke right now. I think there are major ways to save time and money in the college process. I don't think parents, coaches, guidance counselors, some of them know portions of it, but as a whole, there is no set system that fills in all the creases between those entities. And I ultimately want to be able to come up with a way to be able to mix in my knowledge on the coaching side of it with being able to tie together some some ways to save people time and money in the college process. So it's a lot. It's not tight by any means right now, but I'm looking to streamline that and be able to live my cycle of life much like we did in football. Football is very cyclical. It's season, then recruiting, then off season, then prep season. And I wanted that in my uh, business world, moving in and out of things instead of doing the same thing every day. Well, what I like about that is is you're offering services that tailor towards possibly the college coach, the high school coach, maybe the youth coach that just wants to develop schemes, maybe the parents that need help with the recruiting process. So I guess for, you know, we, you know, our podcast is, is international, but most of the listeners are in, you know, in, in the United States. But, you know, because I'm based out of Minnesota, we get a lot of Minnesota listeners. So what's, what's the name of the business and how could people best reach out to you if they wanted to get some sort of consultation or help? Yeah. Um, business name is road tree, just like the football road trip. And, um, I, I will say this, um, what I have figured out I am not great at is building a website. And I've talked to you a little bit about this, Chris. So <laughs> I get fired up talking to people. I need that energy, that back and forth. And I've been stuck for about three months working on websites and SEOs and, and, and all this this different stuff and how to bill. And I'm getting to the point where the website's getting closer. I'm going to be starting some uh, player development uh uh, group lessons, private lessons, and start um, advertising that. But, you know, I get hung up with uh, a lot of what a lot of people is uh, do where you say, okay, well, do I book the facility before I have the clients or do I need the clients to get the facility and vice versa? So um, right now it, 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 it's called Roundtree. Um, um, most, if you're a high school player in this state right now, I've probably recruited at your high school. Um, I probably know your head coach. So, um, my advertising will be starting pretty soon. There will be a website, routetreemn, as in minnesota.com. And, um, hoping, uh, I can start, uh, getting out and making more contacts and, and connecting with the people I need to, but it's going to start with the player development and some lessons this summer. My brother and I are running a, a really unique football day down in uh, our hometown for our hometown festival. And then I've actually got a, a consulting uh, gig coming up here and I've got a couple different high schools that have reached out and said, can you come in and talk special teams? Great. I can do that. Can you come down and run a two day, uh, uh, um, not passingly, but can you help develop our pass game with our quarterbacks, our wide receivers? I can do that. So I've been blessed. I've been an offensive coordinator, a special teams coordinator. I was just a DB's coach for what I believe is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country at any level. And uh, being able to see football through all three lenses, I think, uh, offers me a nice chance to be able to assist in a lot of different ways. 
Yeah, and I'll I'll add a, a plug here too. I, I said it at the beginning of the interview. Uh, I've known Travis for about ten years now, ever since I started training specialists. And your your knowledge of the game and just strategic stuff that I've seen over the years, and then just being your right hand guy, you know, with St. Thomas is phenomenal. So at, even though even though you're starting a business and maybe in theory you're consulting rates may not be as high as others out there i'd encourage anybody that wants to learn anything about football to call you whether they're out of state or in minnesota because i think you've got a lot to offer and, and can help change the industry in a positive manner so i and, and i'll put your contact information in the notes of the uh the podcast as well i appreciate that that'd be awesome and obviously i can be found on twitter uh it's rotary i'm in um so yeah anyone that wants to reach out to me it's a work in progress right now i, I do believe you know I, it, it's going to start with honesty it's going to start with um just being grateful to, uh, for relationships and uh, ultimately this is going to be about growth this is a, about growing people building relationships and um certainly you know the money portion comes into it at some point but um i don't need this to uh to uh, go great in 10 years and retire. It's like like we always talked about St. Thomas. We're building this thing for the long run, and it's going to be one client at a time until hopefully it's three or four that we can have there at a time, and then hopefully they can go on and, and do this someday and, and or reach out and help someone else on everything down to, you know, part of our lessons are going to be uh, how to introduce yourself and what's your elevator pitch and how to get a job and career development. And this is going to run for a long time and I hope it can give back just as we've talked about our players at St. Thomas through the years is what legacy are you going to leave behind? Well, hopefully you're taking some of this and passing it on to your team that's making the product better. Yep. All right. Travis wanted to ask you our cornerstone question here. Um, yeah. And we got to tailor to you because we don't, you're, you're our second coach we've had on the podcast, so it's typically it's more player-based, but over your coaching career, and, and we can even tie it to your, your playing days, what have been your five favorite stadium experiences as a football coach that you've had over the, over the years? Well, I am going to tie in my playing because I coached there too. Um, you know, you're, my alma mater was a special place uh, when I was state. It's a beautiful setting down there. It, you look up, it's bluffs, and um, it's just a, it's a phenomenal setting. And it was my first taste of college football as a player. And then I got to be an offensive coordinator there and coach there for five years. So Winona is always going to be number one to me, um, because I got to experience that on, on both sides of it as a coach and a player. Um, you know, a phenomenal, uh, again, probably I'll stay on the player track here. I love playing in Bemidji. I mean, if you haven't been to Bemidji, I know that, Chris, you run some of your camps up there, at least you have in the past, correct? Correct, yep. But Bemidji State on that lake is a really neat atmosphere to play in uh, if you're a Minnesota kid. I, um, I, I loved it. Now, from a continue going on the coaching side of it, in our biggest games at St. Thomas, certainly, I love playing there. I, I love coaching there. I mean, when you, you got ESPN there and, and you're playing Linfield or – or you're playing um, some of the other top teams in Division Three, and it's a packed house. St. Thomas was as, as fun as it got in those type of games. But obviously you got Collegeville, which is – if people here have never been 
listening have not been to Collegeville. I've, I've said for years to all my friends and families, uh, my friends' family and friends as well, said if you live in the state of Minnesota in the Midwest and you haven't had the chance to go to a Tommy Johnny game, I think it's got to be a bucket list thing for you in Minnesota. Now, Correct. we'll see if that, maybe that's dissolved now. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> no one's ever going to have that opportunity. Well, you might have two more years of it. But I think even St. Thomas, I think even the alum from St. Thomas would say, watching that game at Collegeville is, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty awesome experience. So I guess I'm excited finally to be able to maybe watch in the next two years, a game at Collegeville yes. as a fan instead of a coach. So that's something I've never done is watch the game at Collegeville as a fan. Which is um, which is St. John's University. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it's St. John's University, so the Tommy Johnny yep. game. Yep, sure. And then the last one, you know, I think the other really neat place in our league is Gustavus. Um, they got a neat little setup. St. Peter's a cute little town, and it sits up right on the hill, and when you're up in the press box, you can basically see for probably 15, 20, 30 miles. It's a pretty, pretty neat uh Venue, probably the venue more than anything, kind of captures me at uh, Gustavus. Well, I had one more. Um, I was fortunate to coach with you at the Minnesota Twins Stadium for the Tommy Johnny game. Yeah. That was that was incredible. Right. Yeah, just no doubt about it. That was yeah, you're playing in front of. Uh, I know that they they listed it at thirty seven seven, which was capacity because of so many seats could not be used because of uh, poor sight lines and stuff. But you're right. That was a uh, you could feel it that day. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I felt like a Division One coach, Division One athlete. You know, just that pro stadium was incredible. Uh, it was. Last thing I just want to ask you, with whatever you're able to share, what are your thoughts on the whole St. Thomas Mayak situation, and maybe what do you think St. Thomas should do next if yeah. you could make that decision? Yeah, um, I probably have. I, I don't know who else has this perspective. Uh, I've coached at St. Thomas for 13 years. I was at uh, McAllister with Coach Caruso for two years, but then I was also at Carleton for three years. Um, so I've seen it from all angles. Uh, I've been in the athletic department meetings. I've seen the financial aid packages. Um, I know what the facilities are all about. And um, I'm probably more biased to the side of where I was most recently at. Um, I'm not positive that in the end St. Thomas is that heartbroken that they're out. Um, I might be wrong on that. I've never sat in a board meeting. I don't know who's making the decisions at St. Thomas. But, um, I mean, my personal feeling is that St. Thomas is on the move to go up. I might be completely wrong. It's just a gut from having, having worked there. Never been confirmed, but... I personally would love, would absolutely love to see St. Thomas at the Division Two or Division One level with scholarships. I think it would take very little time for them to be really, really competitive at any level. Because as I've said it for years, um, thinking about this process someday as a coach, if it's Division Two and you're a kid from Minnetonka or you're a kid from Eden Prairie and you have a chance to go to Mankato, uh, or Duluth, um, and let's even throw the 1AA's in there, The whatever they call it now, the uh, FCS. Yep, FCS. 
if I can get a full ride at the University of St. Thomas and get that education and stay in the cities, or my other option is go to Vermilion, South Dakota, go to uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa, go to Fargo, go to Duluth, go to Mankato, I'm not so sure that St. Thomas isn't winning all those battles. And you know that they're going to commit from a facility standpoint if they end up making that decision, which I don't know what decision they're going to make. But in my personal opinion, I don't care where they end up. If they're going to make that move, they're going to support it financially. They're going to commit to the facilities. They always have, and that's what I've always appreciated. I I appreciate so many things about that school and that location um, and the pride that exists in the alumni base. Um, wherever they end up, they're going to be good. And they're going to be really, really good. So if it's D2, I would say NSIC, you're going to have a major, major beast in your hands. This same thing that you just saw in the Mayak. And um, there's a a location and an academic um, standard there with engineering and a niche with business that they're going to be really, really competitive. And uh, I don't know if, I'm not saying they're going to dominate a league wherever they go in the same manner they did, but they're going to have teams that will be at the, up, the, the upper echelon of whatever division they're in. I'm a true believer in that. Yeah, uh, I felt the same way as well. You know, from well, one from an alumni, from a player and coach. You know, I think I was a big believer for the NSIC. I thought that that would be a perfect step up. And I think almost instantly or within a year or two, they would be a top five team in that in that type of conference. And then, however, I heard people start talking about, you know, 1AA, like, could they move into, you know, that, that I think it's the Pioneer League, it's the same conference as Drake, because it's all yeah. private schools, non-scholarship. Or like yeah. you like you said, I didn't even think about it, same conferences like NDSU and SDSU. I mean, there's a lot of great op- opportunities. And I think, I do think St. Thomas needs needed the step up i mean not that you want to say that there's an easy batch of games every year but you know it would be nice to see some more competitive games and still get those wins you know but uh and that's coming from a fan and an alumni standpoint too just you know but i think i think a step up would be intriguing and fun to watch yeah i guess from a pr standpoint i'm sitting there saying same time it's like I'm not sure if they really wanted to be out of d3 but man they're looking really good leaving right now and I don't know if they, my understanding is they have to go D2. I don't know if, you, if it's involuntarily, if you then can petition for something different. I have no idea. But I think there's a lot of other things in play here. You know, um, there is no Division Two hockey. Yep. So does hockey go up to Division One? Do you cut hockey? You know, um, what if you end up going Division One? Well, where does that put your football program? Is it non-scholarship? Or are you trying to make the big jump? Is there anything even open? Do you have to go independent? I think there is so many things. I think St. Thomas is going to be a much different looking university and a much different looking athletic department in 10 years. I don't know how it's going to change, but to sit here and say, well, it's probably just going to be, you know, the same thing, only up a level. I don't know if, I don't know if, if I would raise my hand and believing that if someone said, is that what, what the future looks like? I wouldn't be raising my hand saying, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think there's going to be some major shifts. Mm-hmm. My personal opinion is there might be a sport or two that multiple sports that are just cut. 
Yeah. So it's happened with every other program that goes up. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, they got to say, this is who we're going to be, and this is how we're going to streamline it, much like I have to do with my business right now, and say, this is how we're going to move forward. Yeah. Well, the last piece of information I figured out is, you know, obviously, I think when I played, uh, McAllister was in the MIAC, they left, but they stayed D3, but the last team to move up was UMD, and they went up to Division Two, and they're still pretty dominant now, so those types sure. of moves are possible. So yeah, it's it's so possible, and it will not take long. I you know it's I don't know if there's a process in which you can only take on so many scholarships, and there's a transitional phase with that as well. But if they're on an even playing field, or even just slightly under from a financial standpoint, where they can be competitive, which is another misnomer in our league, and I know this because for recruiting years in the MIAC. All you ever see is, well, they, they just they give people more money, and they can get lower academic students in, which is completely wrong. Okay? There have been some we've been better. There have been a lot we have not been as good financially. And I can tell you, there are better academic institutions perceived in this league that have let lower academic students in, and St. Thomas has rejected them. And it's happened the other way, too. And what you realize is there's all types of different scenarios. There's all types of different academic standards. There's all types of different financial packages. There's all types of different programs within each school. And there's just simply no way to blanket. They win because of this. They win because of this. I'm telling you, it is much more balanced in the recruiting than everyone makes it out to be. Now, are our facilities better? Probably. Is everyone in our league improving because of those facilities? Yeah. So, as I learned from uh, um, uh, Coach Caruso, it's just a phenomenal saying, high tides raise all boats. And I think that's what so many people looking at the Mayak are saying right now is, you know, what's going to happen? So, we'll see. Yeah, it'll definitely change the landscape and be interesting to see if, Maybe St. John's follows suit if too much change happens, but uh, be the next few years will be fun. I think just to see see what happens. I'm I'm so excited for the, the that university and that staff and everyone involved at St. Thomas and and what an opportunity. That's that's all I'm gonna say. Is that, that's how we always looked at it in the football program. Is doesn't matter what we're dealt. What an opportunity we have to work and get better and, and, and prove people wrong. So, and I know that they'll do the best with it. Yeah, I know they will. Nice, well, awesome. Well, Travis, uh, this has been a pleasure and honor. You know, like I said, I I've enjoyed your friendship, your mentorship, your everything that you've taught me over the years, and to have you on the podcast is is awesome. And the discussion well, points is awesome. You're you're now blazing the path for me. So um, you know everything you just said is how I look at what you've been able to do over the past eight, well, eight, ten, whatever many years, and and where you started it, and when you made your move to go uh, full blown. So um, likewise, and Brian, certainly, I hope I get to cross paths with you here in the future and and learn. Th- Learn, learn a little bit more from you as well. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. And hopefully you all uh, learned some things, whether you're a coach, a parent, or an athlete. I think there were so many golden nuggets uh, in this that, that I, you know, we hope you enjoyed it. So thank you all for listening, and thank you, Travis, for being on with us. You got it. All right, take care.
Well, guys, I thoroughly enjoyed that interview. We covered so many topics. I hope the parents that listen to this, the athlete that listens to this, any coaches that listen to this are able to get some nuggets from this. A lot of information was shared, and I hope that you all can take something from this and improve your game or improve your recruiting situation or even coaching schemes. Just to put an extra plug out for Travis, like I said, I've known him for 10 years. I always admired his creativity and the things he did special teams-wise. Um, he's coached forever, uh, offense, defense, almost every position in the book. His wealth of knowledge is crazy good. And so I think any of you, whether you're a parent, a coach at the college, high school, or youth level, he has so much information that he can offer and help and give to you that I think it's worth it for you guys to contact him. And then, again, in the show notes will be his contact information, social media, emails, all that. And he is worth it to call. There's a lot that he can give, and you know I totally respect what he has done with the game of football. He changed the landscape of special teams at St. Thomas, within the conference, and he was always on the edge of trying to do something different and keeping the opponent on their heels. So, great guy, great coach, and we hope that you all benefited from this interview. So to wrap this up, guys, thanks again for listening. Uh, Brian and I are available for virtual lesson training, so if you guys need little tune-ups here and there, um, we can evaluate your film, talk about it over the phone, and get you back on track in case you have that little hiccup or you need a little fine-tuning. So our contact information are in the show notes, and we're here to help you out. Thanks again, guys. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the 4th Down Experience. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 4th Down Experience.